0: My guest is Dorian Keekin, as uh, a founder and CEO of AgeOfMinds.com. We're going to be talking about uh, collaborative artificial intelligence. So, Dorian, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you tell well. me, uh,
0: tell me the premise for Age of Minds. What was going through your mind when you uh, came up with the concept?
1: Oh, that's that's a really good question. Okay. Oh, uh, well, it's going to be actually a bit of a long story. I have a long story on this one. Um, I've been doing games for the past, you know, something like 16 years, right, uh, including 8 years of them at the Bioware, which is a really well-known uh and company, and other people behind, for example, the Mass Effect series or Dragon Age, right, or Belvoir's Gate back in the day. Um, and so it's kind of happening stage. Uh, the first one is Uh, I co-founded the Bar Montreal Studio, which was, uh, you know, the the model studio was in Edmonton back in 2009. It grew from zero to, you know, 100 plus people. I really, really enjoyed doing that. Uh, That's kind of the moment where I realized that, well, maybe entrepreneurship is my thing, actually. Um, And uh, another thing happened in parallel is I had uh, one of my really good friends, uh, who used to work in the AI industry, uh, and later he'll be going into the video industry, uh, back about also a decade ago, and he was you know, working on a semiotics. And back then, we were already talking about how much you know, uh, video game and AI have to bring to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was really kind of a thing, the catalyst that, that maybe changed uh, industry to some extent, uh, was in 2014, my first daughter was born. Okay. And suddenly I I didn't care very much about shipping the next game of the year or if I'm selling, you know, uh, really good games. I mean, I, I was working on games like Mass Effect 2. There like you will know, be people killing you to get it my position like they had, and it was super comfortable. It's just like I didn't see how this would impact the life of my buddies, which kind of became really my big part in life. You know, I had kind of a sort of parent moment. Uh, and uh, and for a greater purpose to some extent, uh, and uh, and this is the moment where I started to have kind of a large thinking introspection of what are the things I should be working on to make sure that the lifespan and you know the happiness of my daughter are are you know uh, as positive as possible, um, and you know obviously outside being a good parent, which is very really important. Uh, I came to the following conclusion. I is saw five big threats uh, or things that we need to work on uh, as a humanity. The first one was AI ethics. And I think you can already start to see the link to the company and do them. doing. Okay. Um, the second one is energy. So, energy can be explained in a very uh, simplest way: is we're uh, consuming more energy than uh, what the Earth can provide. Uh, uh, and we need to solve that, otherwise we'll have big trouble. Uh, we have obviously other people working on this, like, you know, uh, not to be a good example, obviously. Uh, uh, solar more gain its time. Uh, Long term, we need to harness. Anyway, energy is a big thing. Okay. Uh, third one is uh, drinkable water. By 2025, it, of the drinkable water reserve of this world will be gone uh by early twenty second century everything will be gone and humans do not fare really well without drinkable water. <laughs> uh now mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, there are good things going on from a technological point of view. Maybe you covered or not in this podcast, for example, we can transform an cold water into drinkable water. It just requires incredible that's the second one, right? Um uh fourth one is waste management and fifth one is climate change. And don't get me wrong, climate change is not that it's not a big deal; it's that we'll likely die of all the other reasons, right?
0: <laughs> okay. I
1: never want to change, uh, and so yeah. I mean, you may be wondering or not why the hell AI ethics is number one, right? Uh, and and uh, here there is uh, uh, really something I, I, I recommend. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar a bit with a blog called uh, Wait But Why. Wait But Why.
0: Wait But Why. I, I've heard it, but I don't. Uh... I don't, I don't know,
1: no. Super good. It's Tim Urban who is doing it. And one of his superpowers at Tim is to vulgarize very more you know, deeper or complex concepts, right? And uh, he did a really, really good one uh, that is called the AI revolution.
0: Okay. it's kind of his
1: two parts. And his second part was our immortality, our extension kind of, uh, which is really big summary. And, you know, I... I, I because we'll run out of time and make, won't go through all of it, but uh, here are some very key concepts. The first one is creating an AGI, so uh, uh, Artificial General Intelligence, which is an, right. an AI that is a small intelligence to us or even a super AI, is one not science fiction at all, really not, and you have some big researchers back this up. The second thing is, it may or may not happen during my lifetime, that it is very, very likely to happen during my daughter's lifetime, right? Mm. And by the moment you reach AGI and very quickly beyond, uh, the impact this is going to have on humanity is not a slim one, right? And uh, it's, it, it's very likely from a, a prediction it will uh, either help us reach kind of more utopia, I believe, type of society, or it may lead to our extinction, right? Right. So, so the possibility of is having a neutral <coughs> impact <or> are <laughs> extremely slim, right? So okay. And, uh, and so that's why it is on number one is in many ways you can see it as it will heavily help us solve all the other problems, will make all the other problems irrelevant. That's the ethical challenges, you know, in the next couple so the time scale, the tiny discount scale. So it's just increase. I mean, when you think about it, it is very first time that we created kind of uh, uh, another other advance from of intelligence right and that is rapidly growing uh, and when you see how computing power with uh, just you know quantum computing coming soon as well as uh, you know the the ability to be cloud computing we're going to exceed our biological limit extremely quickly right and obviously machine learning was just at the very beginning uh, you know survival learning is a little more simplistic but when you see some of the potential behind reinforcement learning, which is what we're in, and then it's light learning. So later on technique, I mean, it's it's, it's going extremely fast. Um, so all in all, I'm working in AI, and I decided kind of back then, that was back stuff, and saying, okay, that's, that's the space I need to be in. I, I need to do something. I need to, even if it's a little bit, try to nudge a bit humanity towards a good direction, right? And right. and of for the sake of my gut. And my my conclusion and you know this is always heavily debatable of course is that within the AI sphere you have obviously a lot of uh, current day challenges like you know uh, biases you know, this one or explainability of machine learning is another one and uh, kind of a bit more mid term kind of direction you have over concentration of power will be brain power will be data and things like that uh, uh, and the longer term one the key question I was trying to answer is really, what is the sort of relationship we want to have as humanity towards AGI or beyond white? Right? right. And uh, when you think a bit about that problem, uh, you could almost separate it into kind of uh, uh, three big set of scenarios, right? Uh, and, you know, you may base yourself on science fiction, but also kind of the different writing that has been done, Uh the first one is basically that, well, the relationship is humans are in control, right? We're making sure that basically AI is not tearing out of a way that can harm us, right? Right. Uh, when you think of uh, robotic laws, for example, uh, is, is, is very much...
0: Oh, Isaac of you
1: yeah. yeah, and you have many things, exactly. Um, I think this role is interesting as long as we have artificial intelligence remaining what we done, you know, kind of the level it is, uh, where it is right now, even in the next five years. I think, as a long term, this is very dangerous for our species um, for two reasons. The first one is thinking that you can control something that is eventually going to be smarter than you, Is kind of the analogy of having a monkey that is super happy to have to put a human in a cage, right? Right.
0: It'll uh, get
1: out. The it, yes. And and the odds that it's finishing well for the monkey, i slim, right, because you kind of putting a sort of adversarial relationship. I don't want to promote close AI, but you're just increasing the risk of conflict, right? And even in the very best-case scenario where you have, like, no, no, we are brilliant monkeys. We have designed the uttermost perfect cage. What are the odds that out of the 10 or 20 billion of people need to be or it's just one that or because it has an agenda or whatever opens the cage to see what happens. I mean, those odds are ninety-nine point nine 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 whatever. Well, not only that,
0: with with AGI, once it becomes smart enough, it should exponentially get smarter from there. So I don't think there'd be any hope of you keeping it in a cage, even if you wanted to.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, this is something I haven't even dropped too much. But the moment we create it, we have a, uh, happening within a few hours. We have a limit on biological limitation in a context where the limitation is just purely computing power, quality of algorithms, and energy. It, it, it will keep increasing, right? Uh, and so it will quickly outpace uh, kind of the level of collective intelligence that humans have uh, in an exponential way. Um, so the control scenario, in very short, it's bad from a long-term point of view. It's kind of a way to increase the risk of basically, you know, disappearing as a species, uh, which goes to the second set of scenario, uh, uh, which you know I call it personally is but It's just like, well, if AI is so smart and gets so smart so quickly, why even bother, right? Let let it run things. Uh, there are some good science fiction books on that. There is one that is called the Sapire one that describes kind of the sort of utopian scenario where. Robots and such run everything, and humans are living in a sort of hedonistic society where everyone is immortal, and you know, uh, and here we go. Uh, the big challenge, though, is that the likelihood of that happening are also a bit slim. Uh, if I know a bit about humankind, it's what happens when humanity doesn't understand something and that something is doing things very like magic, which is do religion out of it. And so the most likely thing to happen in the second scenario is you just end up making a religion out of AI, right? Mm. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it's a bit better than species extinction, right? <laughs> but it doesn't feel like the right way you Uh Which goes into the third scenario, which is obviously the one I care a lot about, which is that the relationship there is between humanity and AI is a synergistic one, Right? Okay. And logistics relationship can be summed up <coughs> into two sub kind of categories. The first one is well, human and AI are the same problem solved, uh, which is, you know, when you think of it like initiatives from Musk, for example, like Neuralink, which is, you know, the brain interfacing, are going into that direction. You know, uh, various companies are thinking kind of, you know, how do we evolve into the cyborg? We have some others to how to upload our conscience to the internet, We have all the transhuman type of thinking. I mean there's plenty of people thinking about space, right? Uh, It's a really good one, because in many ways, you're kind of forcing, you're moving kind of old form of conflict, and you're forcing kind of biology to evolve at the same level as technology. Um, So uh, I like that from, you know, again, a species future point of view. Uh, The only challenge with that scenario is, or set up scenario, should I say, is that the prediction, which may change, obviously, is it seems that it is more difficult for us to reach this true stage of human and AI of the same is more difficult than reaching AGI. The level of technology required to reach human AI of the same is bigger than the one to reach AGI. Which means that by the time we reach AGI, there will be a gap of hours, weeks, years, decades, centuries between the moment we reach human AI scenarios, which is well, human AI, which is uh, human and AI are so much into the loop for AI is learning from humans, but humans are learning from AIs and both biology as well as technology are constantly increasing and evolving together, that the risk of misalignment between AI and human becomes slimmer and slimmer, right?
0: Okay. And so,
1: obviously, this is what we care about. My purpose, my goal, is I want to push as much as possible humanity into building collaborative AI, right? In the short term, because I believe a lot into uh, human augmentation, rather than human replacement as a general direction, right, from many points of view, from an economic point of view, from a species point of view, and long term, I see that as a way to heavily reduce the risk of misalignment, right? Mm. Okay. Uh, and, and so at that point, you're like, well, okay, all is amazing from a theory point of view, but how the hell are you going to do that, right? Um and uh, so, if you look a bit up to uh, modern machine learning, uh, it's really based into three key components, right? right. Uh, the first one is computing power. Uh, the second one is algorithm. And the third one is training, right? Uh, so, obviously, computing power was many interesting things happening with constant computing. It's also a domain that is heavily dominated and that on right now, you know, uh, major research. It's also a big domain of academics right now. And a lot of startups, the company, get created on the third one, which is a training one, This is whatever it's a massive amount of points, right? Okay. Uh, and within within training, I mean, uh, again, I, I imagine people listening to podcasts are a bit familiar with, uh, with what is going on in training, but you have obviously multiple training techniques, right? Uh, the first one, which is the most common one today, is supervised learning, and more probably supervised labeling learning, right? Uh, it's and The reason why it's very common is because it's not anymore research and development. It's reality. It's application. It's about finding big data that we can use to, uh, you know, make some of prediction or a equation. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're very much into right now, if you look at... The vast majority of AI companies, probably more than 80% of them, are about uh, training on big data, right? And so civilized learning is, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if I apologize a bit, but uh, it's basically the AI is learning by example, right? right. It's You show five pictures of a cat to an AI, and you want to understand what a cat is. You show it five million pictures of cats, and it's capable to recognize cats, right? Sometimes beyond the human level, right? Uh, you could have, you know, very well training. I would be like, well, that vector is cat. And you'll be, oh, really, for me, it's vector, right? Uh, but there's a second technique, which for me, interests me a lot. But it's still a bit in R&D space when the application has started, uh, which is called reinforcement learning. And reinforcement learning is that basically uh, the AI is learning not by example, but by trial and error. You put in an environment with a system and we'll try, fail, learn, trial, fail, learn. And we'll do that, again, similar to the other one. we we'll need to do that a million times before providing some really good results,
0: right?
1: Mm. And so the story I have tell that you probably know about. It is, yeah,
0: yeah I've heard about it in DeepMind. Yeah, it beat, um, it beat uh, the World's Best Go player, right?
1: Did a new version, but it's called Alpha Go Zero. Okay. Alpha go Zero was trained without a single human example. It was trained by just playing against itself in a virtual environment, and playing like five million times against itself, right? right. That version it beat the previous version 100 zeros. Wow. Uh, and, and, and when you talk to people who are professional Go players, they're like, the version of two thousand sixteen was really, really good human. The version of two thousand seventeen is absolutely alien. It does things that you don't understand and we're just trolling the right? Mm-hmm. So that's the state of the R12 well, and resource learning. But the potential of learning compared to supervised learning, right? Right. And this is what interests us a well, lot because the best environment trend and reinforcement learning today are video games. What
0: would what would you call um AlphaGo Zero? Is that uh, reinforcement learning or what is that?
1: Yeah, it's reinforcement learning because it was playing again in environment with a reward system. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and so what you see today is that you know Microsoft sure, uh, is very much games because these games provide that environment where an AI can Fail and try again, and do reinforcement really learning. Right. But, but today's applications are slim in the sense that uh, you're basically training an AI to be really good at a video game, and so the end result is <laughs> I an mean, AI that is really good at playing video games. That's awesome, but that's not how you're going to have you know more bigger societal impact, right? And so our premise uh, as a company is: what happens if you build specifically a video game? Uh, to be for AI training purposes, so right from the get-go, the video game is basically built to specifically train AIs on reinforcement learning and to train them on concepts that can be generalized outside video games. Hmm. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. Okay. Um, one of the big things that we realized, that, and that goes back to collaboration, is that if you want to train an AI to collaborate with humans. You don't have any ways with data today. Right? It's not the data you so talks with Siri or Alexa, whatever, will be good enough for you to be able to train to the next steps. Right. It's also not current video games that will be able to help you because the relationship you have with AIs and games is so primitive, then you cannot use that as a training ground. So what we're doing is we're actually building two things. We're building, on one hand, a video game that is about human-AI collaboration, which is absolutely a new genre of game. And we basically use that as a training ground to be able to train collaborative AIs, right? We don't need to sell the game to millions and millions of users. We need to have at least 10,000 regular users per month to be able to start to train some interesting models. And parallel, many ways similar to what OpenAI Gym has been doing, is we're building a platform for reinforcement learning with human training. Which is basically a platform for researchers, for people doing AI development, to connect with basically uh, our games, and so that it becomes kind of a large training ground, right? Right. And our first game is obviously the first step of our platform, but we'll be doing more and more, uh, you know, as we want to enlarge what we can uh, do from a collaboration point of view. And so what we train on is on very specific uh, 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 aspects of human AI collaboration. So our long-term goal within five to ten years is to become the standard for human to eye collaboration based on the enforcement learning
0: so what needs to happen in order for humans and AIs to collaborate what does it look like what's a model for it
1: so 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 if you I'm going to enter a bit into a, a, a video game uh, theory right uh, for human and AI to collaborate you need to have the following done. You need to have the AI do things that are impossible for the human. So the human is incentivized to collaborate with the AI. And reversely, you need to have the human do things that are impossible for the AI to do in order for the AI to be incentivized to collaborate with the human. Right? Mm, Okay. And so what that means is uh, you'll have the AI will be doing things that are already superhuman today. if You think patterns in very large amount of data, statistical analysis, or a massive uh, multi for example, uh, which humans you know, are not really good uh, at doing. Reversely, yeah. what the human will be doing is a certain form of intuitive strategy, but more importantly, anything that touches human-to-human relationship. So think of it as bluff, mind game, uh breaking, building alliances. There's are general notions that uh, most of the ML today is extremely, incapable to do and will be probably like this another five years, right? And so you put in a situation where both the human and the AI are, are respectively need each other. And this is when we start to collect interaction and data and basically start to train, uh, uh, you know, your AI model. Okay. And so uh, I don't know how familiar you are. Are you a bit familiar with video game in general or? Um, yeah, I've played a lot of video games.
0: Yep, definitely.
1: So, so let me take an example of a, a, a very famous and common video game to try to explain a bit what would that mean, right? Uh, take StarCraft, right? Yep, that played uh, it. If you take StarCraft, StarCraft is based on... Uh, uh, a, you, you can kind of separate into the pointy notion. You have a component of strategy. You have a component of tactics. You have a component of micromanaging units. You have a component of... Right? Yep. The very vast majority are usually good at doing, right, within those components. So, for example, you could be a player who is really good at the high level strategy, and managing your base, and you're kind of evolving most of your cognitive resource to it. And, you know, you really know about your base. And then you select all your units and you tell them, hey, you're go fighting, right? Or on the opposite you're a very kind of skirmish type of player, really good at developing tactics and skirmishes. Your game like your 40 units unit by unit, but your base is badly managed, right? There's like plenty of uh, wasted resources. Um, in order to, uh, so the vast majority are just good at certain things, except for poor players, so let's say the top one person, it's not the 0.1 person of uh, uh, players from start, so which are poor players, they're capable to play on three, if not four other dimensions, right? Like. Imagine, like, crazy a base or having crazy strategy and tactics and managing, like, 40 micro-units all at the same time length. Like if you're doing this with kind of an AI system, if you will, or an AI that collaborates with you, what happens is that any basic player becomes only a pro player. Because what happens is that a part of what you're doing is really delegated to the AI. And obviously, there are things that, you know, the AI will be significantly stronger at, like, for example, micromanaging plenty of units, right? As on the opposite, you know, building alliances, and in this case, StarCraft is a bad example because alliances are relatively weak in StarCraft. Uh, uh, but building alliances, doing blood and lightning is very much the domain of the human. I'll probably use EVE Online as a better example of more complex form of, you know, uh, alliances and relationships. So, in the very short, what we're building is a game that has a very strong strategy. And uh diplomacy type of relationship. To give you an idea, one of the support I've been doing was an AI system layer on the top of a diplomacy board game, which has a reputation to be really complex from a human team relationship point of view. And the other part that we're going to take the patent uh, you know, in the next couple of months is really the sort of global training platform kind of you know, the beginning of the sort of opening action dedicated to human global training.
0: No, you're going over StarCraft and the different strategies and everything, and then, um, you know, the possibility of machines being able to manage um, the tactical aspects while maybe a human player would do the the high-level strategy and direct it and get feedback from it.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So, I took StarCraft as an example because it's one that people can relate. Obviously, the human-to-human aspect of StarCraft is not complex enough to really uh, showcase kind of what we're building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I you was know, giving kind of example that you'll probably have more of a complex mind games or strategy alliance, not in games like StarCraft, but in games like EVE Online, for example. Uh, or you know, one of the prototypes I've been doing, for example, is adding an AI layer on the top of a board game diplomacy, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but is uh, really heavily complex from a human-to-human negotiation point of view. Uh, but so that's what I wanted to summarize. In many ways, we think two things. The very first thing is building a basically strategy game where both the human and the AI have, uh, are playing both equal and key roles to force basically collaboration and, and, and start to basically collect data and be able to train on this. The second aspect is rebuilding a platform uh, in many ways like you know OpenAI is a platform uh, that is really specialized in human-involved training.
0: Okay. So, do you, do you have any specific uh, models where you're actually doing something like this, or is it just too early in the development of AI to have any of this?
1: Still early. We don't have, uh, we've been doing typing on email analysis collaboration. We've been uh, uh, training some AI agents, for example, uh, to help and assist in the games of diplomacy, for example. Uh, uh, so, we're still at the early stage. Uh, we we'll do have fully trained model, kind of the MVP of trained model probably in
0: about a year and a half somewhere. Oh, not long So you said a year and a half, you think you'll be able to do that? What's the um, the first um, instance of where you'll be able to do this this collaborative work? What do you think it'll be? So
1: uh, what do you mean? Oh, so uh, in real
0: life application? The application period, whether it's real life or not, but where, where do you think the first example of this collaboration will be? Will it be in a game setting? Oh, uh, uh, very interesting.
1: Uh, so, I don't see that being, so I think the first application, it depends, we have many, many conversations going on right now, Uh, but the most likely field is going to be medical, Uh, for multiple reasons, Uh, it's just that there's a lot of money there, so we'll probably go there in big part because of the money, and this is one of the areas where they have really strong needs for uh, AI that can collaborate with humans, it has nearly a large impact, Um, so uh, I, I can tell you a few stories that portray to that. Right. Uh, sure. The first one is really, really a few weeks ago. I had a really long conversation with a neuroscientist, I was super interested to use human brain training part of neuroscience to be able to do applications that we use uh, anxiety or you know improve sleep uh, in kind of different patients. And so these are applications that we can probably develop within two years time frame. Mm. Okay. Uh, the second one, our discussion I had that was only several months ago uh, was with uh, IBM Watson and more importantly, uh, you know, uh, IBM Watson Healthcare, but so they are already using uh, ML uh, quite a bit you know, to help with diagnosis and things like that, uh, but one of the challenges is getting strong buying from, you know, the doctors, uh, there's a part where, you know, they're always skeptical about technology and that's fine. But uh, there is another very realistic part which is that uh, 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 doctors have very needs, I would say. Like an ER doctor uh, is looking at information and all of this in a very different way than a research doctor, for example. And the AIs today are not really capable to, how would say, uh, to, to personalize themselves with how they communicate, how they interact with different doctors. So one of the things we've been talking is about dynamic interfaces that will adapt basically to each other different doctors based on, you know, are they looking for precise information? Or are they looking for concise information? Are right. they people who are looking for more visual, that have more audio element And it doesn't really matter that, you know, uh, I'm a visual person and it doesn't matter if I'm a doctor, if I'm a businessman or a video game player, I'll still remain a visual person, right? So you are things that you can pre-train given a, a video game concept where you have a dynamic interface that adapts to every player and then we can use that as a pre-training element uh, for dynamic UI, uh, directly by for medical, for example. And obviously, you know, application doesn't stop at all with medical. Uh, and the last one I had on medical, this one is a bit longer-term one, but still very re- relevant to explain why the eye is important in the medical field. Um, I was talking with a surgeon uh, that was in December last year. Uh, and what he was telling me was super interesting. So. Uh, he was telling me that doing an open-heart surgery can be a very long operation, like, you know, lasting for 10 to 20 hours. without got kind of a crazy endeavor. Wow. Uh, and what happens is that during that time, you don't have one person in the room, or not even two. You usually have five to six-person counseling the room. You have, like, the lead surgeon, and then you have kind of uh, assistants that are most of the time other the also sometimes interns, the reason why is there's so many things that can go wrong that you need to have all that support system, right? And so you'll have one person who's, I don't know, monitoring, for example, the heart of the patient, while the other person is monitoring the... Uh, uh, yeah, the, the kidneys, is, uh, yeah. So yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, and all of that while having, you know, the research is just more you know, focused on, I don't know, opening the skin, open for example, right? Uh, and so what he was telling me was super interesting was like, Today, we already have models uh, that physically provide better monitoring than a human. Think of hard disk monitoring, right? Why mm. having a human you can have ML like to that and have seen play better? And the reason why they cannot apply it, the reason why it still need to have five to six the room, is because the AI is not capable to collaborate with anyone, right? Right. And you cannot have to your AI just deep in whatever the bit is of telling different some information where well, you have some which just focus on opening the skin. Like right? it needs to understand the context, but now is not a good time to interrupt. Mm, or right. information is not relevant to what they need and some like class. And so these are some of the of collaboration we call uh, content training or participation of information training. And some more things, these are things we can pre-train to basically pre-good simulation, right? If you're teaching basically an AI to not interrupt its main player while doing a direct decoration among the good using reinforcement learning as a reward system, then you can pre apply that model after that with the medical field, right? Right. And so to understand a bit what we're doing, I didn't talk too much about that, is we're in many ways, what we do is what we call this pre training, right? If you take uh, autonomous car today, right? Uh, a vast uh, majority of autonomous cars are pre trained in simulation. Actually, uh, one that is very well known is Deep Drive from OpenAI, which is kind of a modified version of GTA 5. They pre training video games or simulation, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And once they have that pre training, then they full train into reality with the sensor and things like that. So that's how they serve those training. In many ways, this is what we do. The pre training is done in simulation in order to basically graph or of notions. And then after that, the further training of medical data in the specific context related to medical files clients is kind of a full training aspect, which is the second element. All right. Well,
0: we, we're, um, we're trying to, I mean, we're running out of time and stuff, but I want to give people, uh, again, a recap of what you're doing. I understand you're trying to develop models to help humans and, and AIs collaborate. It sounds like we're going to need. Uh, do you have any recommendations on some resources for people that are listening, uh, where they can learn more about this? Is it just your website, or are there other resources you recommend? And you know, the last question I want to ask so you. Question, uh, so yeah, tell me about some resources we can have for people to help them understand better.
1: So, so we have very very poor resources on websites. website technology. we through. It's still very early on, so our website doesn't have much information sadly. Uh, this also is kind of you know, a lot of is in research and development, so we're only starting to see papers appearing now and then. Uh, I'm trying to think what will be the best resources. And obviously, you have a lot of um, you can learn quite a bit about reinforcement learning. Uh, there's been many papers published, probably with, you know, uh, by groups like OpenAI, uh, DeepMind. Uh, you know, uh, I know a few researchers that have published on you know how to optimize trust, for example, like Jacob Kendall, uh, you know, or curriculum learning, uh, I think there's a paper for Shaya, Matthew Taylor. So there's quite a few resources that you go at. Uh, human envelope training is still very much in the instances. So there isn't that much resources on the web, sadly. Um, and to go back to kind of more of a greater purpose and what I was mentioning about how AI is evolving, things like that. Yeah, I totally recommend the evolution from our Team Urban on the way to kind of understand kind of why is AI ethics so important for now for our species.
0: Okay. Well, very good. So, um, you know, I appreciate you talking to me about this. It sounds like, you know, we're not there just yet, but there's a big need for it and it's coming soon. So I encourage people to go to ageofminds.com. And uh, Dorian, do you have any any last comments on uh, you know suggestions for people?
1: Um, no, I think I think that was that was uh, I think I've been to cover pretty much. I mean we we're, we're living very much an interesting time. Uh, technology is progressing extremely fast, and uh, you know obviously I'm very interested into this because I've been part of a Montreal AI Ethics Group since the past year. Uh, is I think ethics in AI is, is our biggest challenge as a species for the next couple of decades, and I would heavily recommend anyone who's even remotely interested by this to start to put their head into it.
0: Uh, well, very good, Dorian. Thank you for being on the podcast, and I, uh, I really appreciate your time. You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.